This is John Snyder for Theology Mix. Welcome to The Walk. Very happy to have as our guest today, Dr. Ralph Enlow, to talk about his most recent book, Servant of All, Reframing Greatness and Leadership Through the Teachings of Jesus. Dr. Ralph Enlow is president of the Association for Biblical Higher Education, educational leader at Columbia International University for 28 years, also senior vice president and provost at Columbia International University for six years. He's a founding member of Global Associates for Transformational Education and has been involved in international teaching and consulting in over a dozen countries. I was born and raised in in godly heritage and felt a sense of God's call on my life uh, to some kind of uh, ministry vocation uh, early in life. I went to Bible college and ultimately I joke uh, that Robertson McCulkin, whom I mentioned earlier, Robertson loved me and had a wonderful plan for my life. (laughs) (laughs) So he recruited me to join the staff at Columbia and I spent the next 30 years there. Um, they kept trying to find a job I could do, so they kept promoting me. <laughs> and uh, so uh, over the 30 years, I, uh, most of that time, I moved over into the ranks of academic leadership. I was academic dean, vice president, provost. Um, so all of my 40, almost 44 years now in ministry career has been in Christian higher education leadership roles. Uh, I've been in the role that I'm currently in, the president of the Association for Biblical Higher Education now for 13 years. Our our association's uh, a network of about 150 colleges that specialize in ministerial and professional leadership education, where students take a deep dive into God's Word, uh, transformational uh, life in community, so that they can live a life on mission with God. Hmm. How old and were you ours, when, when you first got that inkling that ministry was in your future? How old were you then? Uh, early teens. Yeah. Me early too. teens. You're you're describing yeah. my life, actually. Uh-huh. How about said, that? Yeah, I was 16. Yeah. I just knew absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt. I didn't even know why. Yeah. Uh, nobody recommended it. Uh-huh. In fact, people recommended against it. Actually. <laughs> Is that right? Tell the truth, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No one was no one was thrilled when I announced it, but, uh, but I knew <laughs> when, I was, when I was 16, and then I began thinking, now how am I gonna? How should I start to study and, and realize yeah. this? Yeah, but it was interesting. Yeah. Very interesting book, by the way. Um, I, I was thinking in terms of um, some of the young pastors. What, what do you say to young pastors who have dreams of empire building? I think you know what I mean there. <laughs> I would say. Uh... Go back to the Bible and go back to Jesus and listen to what he has to say about what leadership is really about and uh, revise your plans accordingly. I would say about the same thing. Uh, how, would, how would you define the word success uh, from a biblical perspective? Well, I would say success is being on mission with God and uh, letting him to define um exactly how your fruitfulness um, is expressed in terms of his kingdom plans. I do believe that, uh, you know, Christian leadership is not merely about faithfulness, but about fruitfulness. And, uh, but fruitfulness uh, comes in a lot of different uh, 
sizes and shapes and forms, and it's not necessarily primarily about numbers. Yeah, uh, the John 15 model you're probably thinking of there. Exactly. Growing from the vine and uh, fruit that outlasts us is what I, I, I'm yes. looking forward to, you know. Yeah. Um, but also numbers too, right? I mean, numbers are people. So uh, sure. I've heard a lot of people badmouth numbers, and I understand why. Uh, right. But, but at the same time, it's numbers as well as quality. It's uh, fruitfulness right. on all of its different dimensions, isn't it? That's right. And, uh, of course, you look at the book of Acts, and there's an awful lot of uh, yeah. focus on uh, the growth in the scale of the church, and, and there's no fear about using numbers and those kinds of things. So yeah, right. certainly numbers are one dimension of growth, but they're not the only dimension. Yeah, and, it's, and, and today it seems to be about 90% of it, from what I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. That's good. Uh, and uh, moving to this issue of servanthood here, what, what do you think the essence of servant, servanthood is? Mm. Well, uh, I guess putting others before yourself. First of all, uh, you know, the ultimate uh, function of servanthood is to recognize whom you're serving. And so it begins uh, with a focus on the Lord and Master that you serve. And then, uh, secondly, the focus is on others. I think in the book I mentioned uh, the idea that uh, to become like children, which means that we're dependent and vulnerable rather than um, in a superior uh, position in which uh, we see ourselves as the benefactor. Um, and we see ourselves as the superior. In, instead, it, there's an inverted understanding in Scripture of what it means to lead, and that means that we're at the bottom of that pyramid, and uh, our role is to have a posture of dependency and to trust the Lord for His enabling to be able to keep our focus on the needs uh, of the people that we've been called to lead. Okay, good. Uh, and I've, I'm thinking here of a, um, a frequent misunderstanding I, I hear of the word servanthood. Uh, how would you explain to somebody, somebody um, the difference between servanthood and servitude? Yeah, that's good. Uh, s- servitude, I guess you would say, is... Um, sort of denigrating to the person and uh, demeaning. And, um, and um, but that's true in our relationship with God. When God calls us to be his servants, he's not subjecting us to servitude in the demeaning and demoralizing sense of the word. In fact, he's elevating us into a very high and holy calling, one that he intends to make our joy full. And uh, so the same would be true in terms of our horizontal uh, relationships in servanthood, that we're um, serving people in a way that's not neither demeaning to us nor to them, but uh, we do submit ourselves to the Lord and therefore to the people that we lead, and it's the path to fullness of joy. Yeah, that's what I would, that's the key, isn't it? Um, If we can just get across the point that that servanthood is a joyful and happy obedience. Uh, whenever mm-hmm. you mention obedience, they back away too, or 
servanthood, <laughs> they back away. But if they see it as a yeah. the very means by which God fulfills us and give, grants us His joy, um, that that's something different, and that's um, they're kind of un, unexpected, isn't it? When yeah. You hear that? Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a yeah, while the, sometimes to get that. I mean, you have to be in the ministry quite a while sometimes before you that actually dawns on you that this is really a source of joy. Yeah. And the things we do that maybe we dreaded. I know people who were slow to come to faith because they were they were afraid God would call them into the ministry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then later yeah. found out this is the this is the, th- the very thing that makes me joyful. Yeah. Uh, so they're kind of surprised by it. What is it? Uh Frederick Buechner said, you know, your calling is where your deep, deep gladness meets the world's great need. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Buechner said that, huh? Yeah, Frederick Buechner. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, another question is, uh, generally, where do you think the church stands between achievement and sacrifice? Mm. Uh, probably where we're, uh, it always has, if I could put it that way. There's nothing uh, new, really, that... Um, that we tend to worship the idol of achievement, and um, we always uh, want low-cost uh, discipleship and uh, low-cost uh, grace, I guess, if you will. And that's just not God's way. And and uh, if we don't believe that, all we need to do is look at Christ. Yeah, that's right. And all the apostles following him, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't a piece of cake for anybody along the way. That's and, right. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of a hard sell today, though, isn't it? When I when I preach about sacrifice and what might happen, mm. uh, there's there's a um, puzzled look on their face, like oh, you mean I have to do that? That's, that might happen <laughs> to me. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, at the end of the book, I talk about the fact that in the end, if you're going to lead Jesus' way, it's going to take you to the cross. Yeah. That's right. Uh, one way or the other. Yep. Yeah, that's a good symbol for the pastorate, too. You know, when people yeah. ask me about going to the pastorate, I don't jump on and say, oh, yes, you got to do that. That's just going to be great. Uh, yeah. I, I, I tell them, no, let me tell you what it's about. Uh, it's about sacrifice and it's about crucifixion. And uh, mm-hmm. it'll happen somewhere along the line. So you better know that ahead of time. They never told me that in seminary. <laughs> Did they ever tell you that? No, I didn't hear that. Um, but I discovered it. So, but it's that's the way it is. Uh, what happens to the master happens to the followers. That's right. It still comes right. as a shock sometimes. Sure. Well, tell me uh, what you think the word um, greatness means for a Christian. Well, I think uh, in contrast to the way we think about greatness in the world, we think about it in terms of um, rank or status or whatever and biblically uh, greatness has to do with character um, with the degree to which uh, we mirror the grace and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ we're talking today to Dr. Ralph Enlow about his new book Servant of All Reframing Greatness and Leadership Through the Teachings of Jesus published by Kirkdale Press his book is available today wherever quality books are sold I was going to ask this later, but I'll ask it right now. Uh, apart from Jesus, whom would you consider to be great? Mm. Well, uh, 
in terms of my own life experience, um, I think obviously very uh, immediately about my parents and, and, and my father. My father was in many ways a humble man, and, and uh, he was a layman. He was a, for 40 years an insurance salesman, but in many ways he was a great man. He was a man of incredible integrity. He was a man of uh, that was really sold out to the Lord and his ways and his work. He was a steward of God's resources. Uh, he raised his children in a humble and uh, God-honoring way. So certainly uh, my dad was a great man. Um, I also think about my probably my most influential mentor, Robertson McQuilkin. He was the president of Columbia International University, my alma mater. And then I had the privilege of serving under him uh, uh, when I worked at CIU for a number of years. And uh, he was probably the the greatest leadership model and men- mentor to whom I've ever been exposed. I think um, you reminded me. I I would cite my father as well. Mm. I mean, when when I was very young, he wasn't even a, a Christian. We all came to faith together in some very strange circumstances. But as the years went by, and as he got older, he just sort of blossomed into this amazing saint. Mm-hmm. And um, lived to be ninety seven, by the way. He died a couple years well, ago. Yeah. But he uh, he just got more Christ-like and more Christ-like as the time went by. And by the time he died, he was, he was really ready. He had actually died twice before then. And, you know, one of those, those, uh, what do you call it? So a technical death and came back. And then the third time was the real one, the final one. But, uh, he was, uh, he was an incredible man in so many ways. Um, mm. it's like a generation's gone, isn't it? I mean, your dad, yeah. my dad, yeah. it was a different generation. Yeah, they would be both, I guess, members of what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. Yeah. That's that's a good name for him too. Yeah, yeah. You know, Robertson. Back to back to Robertson McCulkin. One of the things that was uh, amazing about him, he was a very successful and effective uh, educational leader, uh, transformational in terms of the institution that he led. But in 1989, he stepped down from the presidency, kind of in his prime. Because uh, his wife was taken with Alzheimer's disease. And uh, he made a very, very profound um, statement by doing that. Uh, he, he relinquished his institutional power uh, because he said, I made a vow to take care of my wife and she needs me. That's the real thing. So isn't I'm going to, yeah. Uh, he, there's a little uh, monograph called Living by Vows, which has really had a lot of uh, impact. But, but again, his leadership from a positional standpoint ended in 1989. But from the standpoint of influence, uh, it only it really it really began at that point in some ways. Fruit that yeah. lasts, fruit that outlasts yeah. us, right? My dad did yeah. the same thing with my mother. She had Alzheimer's, and he uh, mm-hmm. totally devoted himself to her until her death, and was there twice a day yeah. in the nursing home, just keeping. Yeah, her we have that in common. Yeah. yeah, we have that in we have that in common. My dad was the same way. Uh, he passed in 2012, and my mom passed in 2016. But up until dad's death, just like your dad, uh, twice a day over there at you know great cost. And oh yeah, really. Yep. And uh, I, yeah, he as like I said, he got better and better as time went by. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I miss him a lot. Another question for same you here. here. Um, 
is there a way to deal with resentment against people or God? Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I, I uh, saw your book and read just a little bit of a review of it, and I think it's right on target in terms of the fact that um, God uh, can take our honest questions and concerns and resentments. You, it's pretty hard to read the Psalms and not understand that there's a, a great deal of uh, of lament in the Psalms. That's right. Um, and I don't think the the Bible at all shrinks from the idea that we can express our concerns and uh, anger, resentment to God. Um, we can bring it to him and we don't have to level it at him. Um, yeah. but, uh, so uh, yeah, I think, I think the idea of being able to carry our resentment to God and, uh, your, the thought that you've, uh, uh, expressed in, in your writing is that, uh, God's shoulders are plenty big enough, yeah. um, for us to carry our burdens to him. And I think, um, you know, this, uh, the best leaders are the ones who are secure enough um, that they can um, receive uh, uh, honest concern and complaint from the people that they work with. Uh, in terms of my own personal resentment, um, to me, uh, the uh, the teaching about greatness, uh, the last section, of Matthew 18 there, which is, uh, my book is in, in many ways an exposition of Matthew 18, because I believe it's a commentary on Jesus' statement, the one who would be great among you should be the least and the servant of all. That last section of Matthew 18 talks about the issue of, of uh, resentment and forgiveness. And um, the, the key to greatness with regard to um resentment or lack of forgiveness or whatever is to recognize the the math if you will of the extraordinary ways in which god has forgiven me and the rather trivial ways in which my forgiveness needs to be extended to other people <laughs> if, if i understand that i'm the one who really has the debt and i've been forgiven how can i hold on to my resentment against other people. Yeah, that's right. That's the right order, isn't it? Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. Thank you. Um, how do you deal with people uh, who strongly disagree with you or might even actually hate you? Mm. Well, again, uh, in the end, you, you do like Jesus. You lay down your life for them. Um, that doesn't mean that you don't... Um, attend, you don't, first of all, address them truthfully. Um, part of being loving to, to a person is to speak the truth to them. And uh, Jesus certainly did that with his uh, bitter enemies, the ones who, in the end, took a contract out on his life, if you will. Uh, and, you know, right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, um, we're told in the Gospels that the, the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem basically put a contract out on him and said, uh, yeah, it's an assassination plot. So talk about extreme. You know, I, I've had people who uh, don't think very highly of me, but as far as I know, nobody's ever put a contract out on me. <laughs> uh, so 
But so what did Jesus do to them? You know, he certainly addressed them truthfully, but um, in the end, he laid down his life for them. Um, And um, he was willing to suffer uh, even the worst that they could do for him. Um, And I think that's, you know, one person wrote about leadership, calling it leadership as pain bearing. And uh, there's a certain validity to that outlook that that in the end, all leadership is pain bearing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can think back on a number of pastorates where that was exactly what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you've been in leadership very long, you you can relate to what I'm talking about. It doesn't take long, does it? No. No. Um, I've got a couple more here. What is a healthy way to deal with failure? Well, first of all, to recognize that uh, failure is uh, pretty inevitable. Uh, We're talking about our uh, failure sometimes in our own expectations, and uh, that is has to do with the fact that we're just finite. In other case, there's there's really moral transgression and so on. Um, But uh, again we look at the scripture and the way it deals with failure. Um, it deals with it redemptively and restoratively. And so I think that's, uh, the sort of the posture that we need to take, uh, toward ourselves and toward others. Uh, I'm aware of a, of a contemporary situation where there's been failure on the part of leaders to keep promises. And, uh, in this particular case, um, what they need to do is own up and just say, hey, we own up to the fact we made promises that we haven't kept. There might be good reasons for it, but we're not going to deny it or suppress the fact that it's true. Um, so the, the first step in failure is to, is to own up and acknowledge it and then to um, receive the forgiveness that that needs to come from the Lord and from others uh, relative to that failure. You ever run across people who seem to understand forgiveness and they receive it and are joyful, but they can't seem to forget it themselves. They can't seem to get over <laughs> it. And they hang on to it and it comes back day and night and they keep thinking about reliving it and they can't seem to get out from under the rock. Yeah, I, I, I've uh, found this to be true in my own life. Um, sometimes the, the hardest forgiveness to secure is the forgiveness that, that you need to give to yourself, um, to, and to, to embrace the fact that, uh, God really has forgiven you and you just need to, uh, accept that forgiveness and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and to realize that when we refuse to do that, it's really, um, both an insult to God and destructive to us. That's a good point. Insult to God not to not to enjoy his forgiveness and to mm. feel free by it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like a person, if I, if I tell somebody I forgive them or vice versa, uh, it's an insult not to really be received. Right. right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, one more here, and then I've got another um, one I want to ask you, which I should have asked at the beginning but I want to ask you before you get away here, uh, what, okay. what is a summary of the heart of your book in a, just a sentence or two? If you were to describe your book to somebody with just a, a one or two liner, what would you say? 
most people think that greatness has to do with accomplishment, significant status, and Jesus says, no, greatness has to do with character. Uh, anything further about the book in particular you'd like to just to just to say about it? Well, uh, again, I, I started out to write the book basically because I think m- many people know this little statement that Jesus made. The one who would be great among you would uh, be the least and the servant of all. But a lot of people don't realize what led up to Jesus making that statement. And then the pretty substantial commentary that Jesus offered in connection with that statement. So the book is all about trying to help people to understand why Jesus said what he said at the at the time he said it and everything Jesus said on the subject of greatness, not just the one-liner. I'd like to thank Dr. Enlow for talking with us today. Remember to buy his book, Servant of All, Reframing Greatness and Leadership, The Teachings of Jesus, available where all quality books are sold. And thanks also to all of our listeners for joining us in today's interview. Please watch for other upcoming shows with people you'd love to know. Again, this is your host, John Snyder. Be with you again soon.